Well, hey, good morning, Calvary. Thanks for jumping online again and, and worshiping with us and being here to spend a few minutes in God's Word. Before we jump into what the text is today, I want to share just one quick housekeeping piece of information with you. Uh, earlier last week, or I guess at the end of last week, we sent out a video email to you guys, um, kind of just filling you in on some information about how long our closure is going to be extended. And if you haven't seen that, I'd really encourage you to try to find it. You can find it on all of our social media pages. Uh, check your email for the link if you want to go back there. It's on our COVID homepage on our website. That video announcement kind of unpacks some information. It tells you uh, how we make our decisions about when to reopen and how long we're going to be closed. Kind of explains the factors we go through that I think are important and helpful. It kind of also talks about an opportunity that we have to give grace to one another as we reopen. Even if it looks different than how you might do it or others might do it, we're going to be kind to one another. And then the third piece of information in that video announcement are just some dates uh, and just some decisions we've made. So I'd encourage you to go back and check that out. I don't want to unpack it all for you today, but in case you missed it and until you go see it, what we've decided to do for a variety of reasons uh, is to continue our online presence only until June 20th. So no activities here in the building until June 20th. We're in the process of planning some stages for reopening and all different potential possibilities that we'll let you know about. And also, as we informed you in that announcement and we'll be informing you in some other means, uh, we've made the hard decision, but what we feel is the wisest decision not to have Summer Spectacular this year. So again, that video announcement's about five or seven minutes. It gives you more information on PACS, how the decisions were made. I'd encourage you to check that out. But in case you've been bombarded by emails towards the end of the week and haven't yet looked at that, I wanted to let you know at least how long it's going to be uh, that we're doing this online deal and that we won't be back together live until after June 20th. So wanted to share that with you folks. Hope you're doing great. I'm excited about what God has for us. And so enough of the announcement time. Uh, let me pray and we'll jump into God's word this morning. Father, we come again knowing that your word is active, knowing that your word speaks, <clears throat> knowing that your word is timely and speaks to us today. And so I come expectantly and I come depending upon the Holy Spirit to work through this text. And so I just pray that even though we're separated by video cameras and screens, that your word will work in a powerful way for your glory. And thank you for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, this past weekend was Memorial Day, right? Over the Memorial Day weekend last weekend. I hope you had a great one, probably. I hope that you had an opportunity to throw some hamburgers on the grill or some hot dogs on the grill. And if, let's say, hypothetically, one of those hot dogs rolled off the grill and you bent over to pick it up, uh, you may or may not have seen there on your propane tank a warning label. A warning label on your propane, propane tank about how to use it carefully, right? This actually is an image of the amazing warning label off of my propane tank. Maybe you're a grill purist. And maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, Smith, you are such a rookie by using a gas grill. Because true grilling men and true grilling women, we don't use gas grills, we use charcoal grills. Well, guess what? I have a charcoal grill too. And if you use a charcoal grill this weekend and you got out your Kingsford charcoal on your charcoal package itself is a warning label, right? Here's a picture of what the charcoal package warning labels look like. Maybe sometime over Memorial Day you decided to hit your favorite coffee shop again and you did some mobile ordering and there on your coffee mug there was a warning label about how that beverage is hot and so if you like pour it onto your face you're going to get burned. All 
throughout last weekend and all throughout our culture on different products, on different things, there's all sorts of different warning labels. And those warning labels are there to kind of tell us how to use that thing properly. That warning label is there to warn us about what could happen if and when we don't use that thing in a proper way, in a certain way. And in many ways, today's text, the historical story that we're going to be studying, the factual story that we're going to be studying today out of God's Word, it's a warning label. It's a warning label, and it's a warning label to you and to me about sin. It warns us about what sin can do. It warns us about what can happen in our lives and in the lives of other people if we don't navigate obedience properly. Today's text is a warning label. And maybe for somebody listening this morning, man, you're starting to get a little uncomfortable because there's something you're struggling with and you're like, oh my goodness, right? Is is this going to be about sin? It is. And it's going to be a warning to some of us, a warning label this morning. And probably what we're going to talk about, man, most of us have heard. There's not going to be anything necessarily novel or new that we hear about sin. And, And many times in our lives, the problem is that not that we haven't heard these things, but the problem is that we don't pay attention to these warnings about sin, and we don't pay attention to these warnings about sin. We don't pay attention to passages in the Bible that are warning labels about sin because we really don't know if they're true. I mean, we really just don't believe it when it tells us about sin or what can happen. And instead of believing the truth about sin, we many times choose to obey myths about sin. And so this morning, what we're going to do, right, ignoring the truth isn't helpful and believing a myth about sin instead can only lead us into trouble. And so from the story, we're going to just walk through some myths about sin. Myths about sin. Our text is going to be Joshua chapter 7. And if you got your Bible, if you got your device, open it up to Joshua chapter 7. That's what we're going to be walking through today. And before we look at that, let's kind of remember what we saw and review what we saw last week. Last week, there was this huge obstacle. There was a circumstance in front of the Jewish people, and it was a big city. It was a well-guarded city with two kind of rows of circular walls that defended it. And the Jewish people, in order to get where God wanted them to get, had to get past that obstacle. And we saw how God helped them defeat that and help them overcome that. And in that process, he gave them very clear instructions about what to do once that city was defeated. And there was going to be lots of stuff inside the city, right? There were going to be lots of possessions, lots of material things inside that city. And he told them what to do with those material things they found. And and so from last week's text, here's what the warning was. Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 um, through 19, he says this. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. What he told them earlier is, man, every material thing in that city, you've got to destroy. He's warning them here. You keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. And in case they missed the fact that they weren't supposed to take anything in there, he says this, all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. What God made very clear to the people is, hey, after you destroy that city, you're going to see a bunch of stuff. You're going to see some money. You're going to see some possessions. You're going to see some flat screen TVs. You're going to see some Toyota 4Runners. Don't take any of those things. And in fact, some of those particular things are supposed to be saved for God's work and God's purposes. And the question is, did everybody obey? 
Did everybody follow what God told them to do? Well, we see pretty quickly when we get into chapter 7 that not everybody did obey. And right off the front, the narrator front ends somebody's disobedience. And in verse 1 of chapter 7, we read this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. This guy named Achan knew he wasn't supposed to take those things, knew that he was supposed to destroy them or save them for God, but he didn't listen. He disobeyed. He sinned. And, and nobody yet in the story knows this. The narrator gives us a little sneak peek. And so the question is, well, does it really matter? Like, we're going to see the dude didn't really take all that much stuff. Does it matter that he didn't obey? Well, it does matter because what we see is after Jericho, there's another city that the Israelite people have to destroy. And this should have been a cakewalk. Compared to Jericho, it, man, it should have been easy to take and conquer the city of Ai. It wasn't well defended. They didn't have a lot of people. It should have been a no-brainer to overcome it. What happens to the Jewish people when they try to attack this next city, verses 4 and verses 5, tell us. It says that Joshua sent out 3,000 men, and here's what it says. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. So the 3,000 dudes left Jericho, went up to the city of Ai, and instead of conquering it, what it tells us is they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men, and they chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and they struck them at descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. This, interestingly, would be Israel's first defeat in the new land, right? They crossed the Jordan River. They took Jericho, their second thing to overcome. This would be their first defeat. And interestingly, in all the other battles that they would have, this would be their only defeat in the new land. Well, why did it happen? That's what Joshua was trying to figure out. He's like, what's happened here? He's praying. We see that in the next few verses. Touring his clothes, verse 6, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. He's trying to figure out, why did this happen, God? You were supposed to be with us. Like, we had success. And then God tells him why this happened in verses 11 and 12. And God says this, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and they have lied and they had put them among their belongings, right? Therefore, because of that, because this dude Achan decided to disobey, what God's saying is in verse 12, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. What God's saying is, Joshua, the reason that you had this defeat is because somebody sinned. And what we see from this is a few things that Achan's sin impacted all of the Jewish people. All of the Jewish people were impacted, were hurt, suffered because of what one guy did. And it wasn't just the soldiers. It wasn't just Joshua. It wasn't just the Jewish people as a whole. What we're going to see at the end of the story is that Achan's sin, that dad's sin, also impacted his wife, his kids, his family, because his family 
was punished and was executed along with Achan for this sin. Commentators think that, that maybe they were punished with him because Achan somehow as the leader had got them to participate in the sin or, or they, were, they knew what was going on, they didn't stop it. But either way, it wasn't just Achan who was impacted. It wasn't just the Jewish people as a whole that was impacted. The people that were also impacted was Achan's family. And what's so interesting is when Achan saw these things that he took, he took some money and he took a robe, we'll see later, he probably never, ever, ever thought anybody else will get hurt. He probably never thought anyone will find out about it. He's not thinking this is going to hurt anybody else. He had no intention to cause harm. And the first myth about sin that sometimes you and I ignore the warning labels of sin because we buy into this myth. The first myth is this, nobody will get hurt. All right? This is just my deal. This is just my thing. It's not going to bother anybody else. It's not going to hurt anybody else. Nobody else is going to get hurt. And what this story tells us is, man, that's a myth. Over the past months, Throughout this COVID thing, and as we've been hearing about wearing gloves and washing hands, there's been this, this video, this illustration. It's, it's all over the internet, right? It's on like parenting pages to teach your kids it. Doctors have done it. Scientists have done it. And there's just been an illustration that people have done to show how invisible germs, the invisible germs of the COVID virus, really can get transferred and can stick to things so easily. And, and what the illustration is, what people do is they take some glitter right here. I was going to do this. But then I thought that can only become a disaster because I'll be up here with like glue and gloves and I have my iPad. You won't be able to see it. But, but so it's probably good, right? We don't need blue glitter all over our stage. But, but here's what the deal is. You take some glitter. And then what the demonstration does is you take that glitter and you get some gloves on and you put your gloves into that glitter. And then the person on the YouTube video starts touching different things. They touch their phone, they touch their face, they touch their books, they touch their door, they touch themselves. And, and everywhere that they touch with those gloves that have glitter on it, every place that hand has touched, there's a little bit of glitter that is left behind. And the point of that illustration about germs, about something you can't see, is, man, it transfers, and it lands, and it touches, and it impacts everything that the person with those germs touches. And I thought, man, what a great illustration. Not just about how COVID-19 spreads or the flu spreads, but what a great illustration also about how sin works. How sin, something that we can't see. What we see from Achan's story is, man, everything that he touched, everything around him, somehow everything was impacted by his sin. His sin was like glitter and what he interacted with, he left little remnants of the glitter behind that would cause harm, that would cause hurt. It wasn't just limited to him. And the truth is that other people did get hurt. See, and at this point in the story, it's really interesting, right? At this point in the story, from everything we can tell, Aiken's fine. Achan may be a little freaked out because the people lost, but Achan hasn't really been impacted. But other people have because of Achan. There's 36 funerals. And 36 families are grieving loss, all linked back to the glitter of his sin 
that was impacted and left a mark on their lives. People are scared, 36 funerals, nobody knows what's going on. The glitter of Achan sin is everywhere. And the truth is, for you and for me this morning in our own journeys, as we struggle with sin and for some of us, as we purposefully engage willingly in sin, right? There's a difference between struggling with sin and wanting to overcome it. All of us struggle with sin. All of us are going to have temptations. But there's a difference between saying, man, I don't want to do this. I want victory in this. And saying, man, I'm going to plunge ahead and say this. And, and, and really, no matter where we are, but particularly for those of us who are plunging ahead, just doing it, man, our choices are leaving a mark. Our choices are causing harm that we may not even be able to see to those people who are around us. And we may not see that harm today. We may not see that harm tomorrow. But in the words of Humphrey Bogart, right, one day, someday, and for the rest of that life, that harm may pop up. Whether it be our gossip, our talking about people behind their backs, moms and dads, with your kids around, when you belittle, when you insult, when you talk down about one of your spouses, when you talk to your kids about why you can't stand their mother, when your kids know why you think their father is a jerk, that leaves glitter that causes harm, spiritual apathy, pride, hypocrisy, Right, Being Mr. Perfect Church dude on Sunday morning, but then getting in the minivan with kids and the moment you leave the parking lot, you're somebody else. It's glitter everywhere that's leaving a mark. That addiction that you think is only your thing, that addiction no matter what it is, that you think nobody else is going to get hurt, is leaving handprints of glitter over the people that you love and you care about and is sowing the seeds of harm that you may not see yet. It's a myth from Aiken's story that nobody else gets hurt. So far in the story, nobody else knows who sinned. Nobody can really figure this out. And so God's laid out to Joshua, Joshua, this is happening as a consequence of somebody's sin. And then he lays out this process to figure out the person who sinned. And here's the process in verses 14 through 15. In the morning, this is God saying, therefore, right, God's told Joshua to do this. This is God's plan. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. In other words, there's going to be this process of elimination going from the tribes to the clan to the family group down to the individual. And God's going to winnow down in his sovereignty to reveal to Joshua and to the people of Israel who has committed the sin through this process, Achan, is the one who's identified as the person who sinned. And in this conversation, as Joshua identifies and Achan's revealed as a sinner, the question is, well, well, why did Achan sin? Like he knew he shouldn't have done it. Why did he sin? And Achan, right, there's this myth that many of us use to explain sin. And the myth that many of us use to explain sin is this, well, it, it, I don't know, it just happened. 
I never intended it to happen. I never intended to say that. I never intended to do that. I never intended to whatever it is. But man, I don't, it just happened. And before I knew what I was doing, it had happened. And then I couldn't stop it. And it's a myth that we see from Aiken's story. Because for Aiken, it didn't just happen. And for you and for me, the reality this morning is our sin doesn't just happen. Have you ever heard anybody say that, right? I, I didn't mean to lie. It just happened. I didn't mean to make that racist comment. It just kind of came out. I didn't mean to be a hypocrite, right? It all just happened. Well, let's look at what Aiken says about his sin, and let's see why the statement that it just happened is a myth. Here's how Aiken explains his sin in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 7. He says this. So now Aiken's standing before Joshua, and he's identified, and Aiken answered Joshua and says this. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did, verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and then I took them. And see there hidden in the earth inside my tent with silver underneath. What Aiken reveals is that for him in his story, this didn't just happen. This was a progression of things that began with a thought. And what's kind of implied in here and, and what's kind of inferred in here is this, that the first step for Aiken was dissatisfaction with God's plan, dissatisfaction with God. God knew what Achan rather knew what God's plan was. Achan knew that God didn't want him to take these things. But man, for some reason, Achan didn't really like that idea. For, for some reason, right, instead of thinking about all the ways that God has blessed them, instead of thinking like, man, this is so amazing that God has just helped us defeat these people and we're in this city and God's blessing us. Instead of thinking about all the blessings from God, you know what Aiken's starting to think about is like, man, I, I, I want that stuff. And I don't like the idea that God's trying to keep me from having that stuff. And then the second step in this progression, he reveals it, is he saw something that he thought was more beautiful and satisfying than God. The second step in the progression is he saw something that he thought was more beautiful and satisfying than God. This is, remember, we read it, verse 21. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak, a beautiful robe, See, see, what Aiken's doing is he's kind of weighing in this moment what God said and what he sees, and he's trying to figure out which is more beautiful, which makes more sense, which is more delight-giving, which is more satisfying. And there were God's instructions on one hand, and there was this robe on the other hand. And, and Aiken's trying to weigh these things, and what Aiken said is, man, there's God's way, there's God's instruction, yeah, but man, this, this robe is so beautiful, this money would be so helpful. And Aiken may be thinking to himself, okay, God's been good, God's kind, God's nice, but I mean, have you seen this bathrobe? It's like what I've always wanted and it'll make me so happy. Aiken sees something that he thinks will satisfy him more than God. Aiken sees something that he thinks is more beautiful than God. Aiken sees something that he thinks is more delight-giving than God. And so the third step in the progression is this. Aiken says it. Then I covet it. 
and then I took it. Then I acted upon what I thought would most satisfy me. See, Aiken's sin, it didn't just happen. My sin doesn't just happen. Your sin doesn't just happen. Our sin doesn't just happen. Our act of sin is many times the final step of a process. And it's a process that begins in our heart when we think about what's going to satisfy us most. What's most beautiful? What will delight us the most? What will make our life work the best? That's where sin starts. And that's why for you and for me, it is so important that we really understand who God is and that we grasp how wonderful he is and how good he is and how kind he is and how satisfying he is and how delight-giving God is. And we wrap our minds and we wrap our hearts around the truth that there is nothing that can satisfy us more. We're drenched in the goodness of God so that when we see other good things and other appealing things around us, when we start to weigh, is that better than God? In a moment, what we tell ourselves and tell our heart is, man, God is better than that. God is better than that. God can satisfy me more than that. God will give me delight more than that. And so I'm going to chase after God instead of chasing after that. Here's the reality in Aiken's story and in our story. We don't ultimately overcome sin by thinking that sin is bad. We overcome sin by knowing that God is better. We don't ultimately overcome sin and fight sin by thinking sin is bad. We overcome sin by knowing that God is better. What what do you think about God? There's a difference between knowing that the sun is hot and standing outside on a sunny day and feeling and experiencing the warmth of the sun. And lots of us can know lots of facts about God, but do you really experience the love and the warmth and the power of God? Do you know that he will satisfy you more than anything else will? In this moment, Achan didn't know that. Or Achan didn't believe it. Or Achan chose not to act according to it. And there was a consequence. There was a consequence we see at the end of the story where they tell us what happened. Joshua now is talking to Achan and his family in verse 25 and says this, and Joshua says to Achan, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and they stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. What we see is that God punishes sin. This, this, this decision, this decree that Achan be executed was what God had decreed because God punishes sin. And does it sound harsh because Achan took a bathrobe and a little bit of pocket change? Yeah, it sounds harsh. But maybe the reason it sounds harsh to me is because I don't understand the gravity and the weight of sin in God's eyes. Because to God, disobeying him is harsh. 
and disobedience of him needs punishment. And the encouraging thing for you and for I, me, this morning as we think about what happened to Achan is that the, the truth, the reality of what we live in today, that our sin, our decisions, our choices, our finding something that we think is better than God and chasing that, all of that deserves punishment. And you want to know something? It has been punished. Everything that we've done that we deserve punishment for has already been punished, and Jesus willingly took that punishment on himself. And it's interesting, once the punishment in this story is, is imposed, then it says, then the Lord turned from his burning anger. He turned from the anger because the punishment had been taken care of. And that can be so encouraging to us this morning because, man, God is not angry at us anymore if we put our faith in Jesus because Jesus has already been punished for our sin. The punishment has been taken care of. It is finished. And so God looks at us with favor and with acceptance and with joy. And if we're in Christ because we've responded in faith to what Jesus did for us in his death, we never, ever, ever have to worry about the punishment from God for our sin again. Do we worry about consequences as we continue to sin? Yes. But do we worry about God's ultimate punishment and wrath for our sin coming upon us? No. Because the price has been paid. The punishment has been taken by Jesus so that we wouldn't have to be punished. And there's something so significant in this story about where this takes place. We saw, right, the last phrase I read, the end of verse 26. The place where the punishment was executed, the name of that place is called, right, therefore to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. For years... In the Jewish people's story, the Valley of Acre, man, it conjured up punishment, it conjured up judgment, it conjured up, man, that's the place where this really bad thing happened. When people would get their picnics and when they'd go four-wheeling or off-roading through the desert and they'd come up to a little sign that said Valley of Acre in 10 miles, what they'd think to themselves is, man, that's the place that this deal happened with Achan. That's the place with punishment. That's the place that was associated with judgment. But it wasn't and it isn't always associated with that. Because we hear about the Valley of Acre one more time in the scripture. And one more time we hear about this place and it's in a book called Hosea. It's a teeny tiny little book, a prophetic book, talking about how Israel has been like an unfaithful wife and cheated on God and how there's consequences. And in one part when God's trying to give hope and when God's talking about his grace, God brings up the name, God brings up the place of this punishment, God brings up the valley of Acre, and he says this in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15. He's talking about what he's going to do to Israel, and he says this, I will give her vineyards. He's gone through this long list of chapter 2 about how he wants to bless Israel and how he wants to, man, give them good things if they'll come back to him. And then he says this, I'll give her vineyards, and I'll make the valley of Acre a door of hope. A door of hope. What, what God's saying is, look, for years, this is place that's been associated with punishment and judgment. And that is part of the story, but that's not the whole story. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn that thing on the head. And the place that was associated with punishment, man, I'm going to make that a place of hope. 
I want to make that a place of new starts. I want to make that a place of, man, great tomorrows and, and a bright future. I'm going to bring redemption to a place that's linked with punishment, and I'm going to turn it on its head, and I'm going to make it a place of hope. Here's the reality, just like he did for a geographical place in the story that was linked with sin and punishment becomes a place of hope in my story and in your story. Man, God can bring redemption and hope. And God can take our falls and our mistakes and our sins and the things for which we punish, but that's part of our story, but that doesn't have to be all of our story because God can turn those on its head and God can bring hope and fresh starts and new days. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. There is hope. There is restoration and there is redemption after sin. The final myth that you and I, that we sometimes buy into is this, that there is no hope after sin. But that's a myth because the Valley of Achor wasn't known for always as a place of judgment. It was known as a place of hope. And in your story, don't believe the lie that there's not hope after sin. Deal with your sin, confess your sin, repent your sin, but don't get stuck in the shame of your sin. Don't get stuck in the hopelessness of a sin from two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. There is hope, there is redemption, and there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Hope, grace, and mercy. Kind of two takeaways as we wind this thing down for two different groups of people this morning. For the first group, right, two different thoughts. I'd love to just land one thought. For those of you who are listening and you're actively and purposefully and intentionally engaged in some sin this morning and you don't want to stop, man, today's text is a warning label for you. Today's text is a big label with neon print saying, stop, stop. Because if you continue to act in that thing in the wrong way, you will get hurt. If over Memorial Day I open up my protein tank and let it flow out and held a lighter up to it, that would not be a good end of the story. That's what the warning label tries to tell me. And maybe for one of you or two of you this morning, This is God's warning label to you, warning you you're going to get hurt. That that sin, man, it's lying to you. It's promising you freedom. It's promising you freedom. But one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be further enslaved than you feel like you are right now because that sin won't give you freedom. That sin will only make you become further trapped. And it's probably not only going to be you that gets hurt, but it's going to be the people around you that you care about, that you've interacted with, that you left some glitter on from your sin, who are also going to be impacted when it comes crumbling down. The only reason you may be listening to this thing today is because God wants to get your attention. And he's saying, I've given you a huge, big old daggum warning label. 
pay attention. For others of us this morning, the second group I'd love to talk to is maybe there's a bunch of us who are not actively engaged in sin. Are there things we struggle with? Sure, but we know what's wrong. We're dealing with it. And for those of us who are not actively entangled in the sin right now, then here's the question for us. The question is, what can we do this week to remind ourselves how good and satisfying God is? What can we practically do this week to remind ourselves how good and how satisfying God is? How can our hearts grow in our delight for God? How can we find him to be the most delight-giving, most satisfying, most fulfilling person and thing that there is? What is one or two things we can do in the next couple days to move our hearts toward that? Because we don't ultimately fight sin by thinking that sin is bad. We ultimately fight sin by knowing that God is better. And so what can we do to remind ourselves and to grow in the truth this week that God is better? Two challenges for two different groups. I hope you'll come back next week as we continue to learn what God has for us through this study in Joshua. And let me pray, and then we'll sing a song of worship as we close our service. Father, I don't have any idea who's listening to this. I don't have any idea where the listeners are in their spiritual journey with you. But I know your Holy Spirit can work, and so I pray that for some, you will use this text in the way that you intended to be used. I know you will. Just to warn them that sin does cause harm, that others do get hurt. And Father, I pray also that you will help us see how satisfying you are, your kindness to us through Jesus, how, how gracious Jesus was to give himself for us, and that we'll be moved by those things, and that those truths and those realities will warm our heart and will draw us closer to you, so that when we see other things, we'll know in an instant that you are more satisfying, and you are more good, and you are more beautiful, and you are more delightful. Thank you that the power of transformation doesn't come from our best efforts on our best day, but the power comes from your Holy Spirit on our worst day. And so we trust the Spirit, Father, to continue your work in our lives, and we'll give you all the glory. Amen.